0: Welcome into this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined once again by Colin Haas-Hill and his uh, girlfriend's dog, who will hopefully not bark too much during this podcast.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're entering this with no guarantees. I, uh, I'm sitting right beside Gio and, uh, you know, licking his feet right now, which, you know, <laughs> is better than barking. So we're going to hope he does that for the next hour
0: plus. Well, we're back. We're back into football season. You know, it's just, uh, we feel like we can just like mostly just talk about football again. Uh, we got a new schedule on Saturday for the 2020 season. And we now know that Ohio State will be beginning its season on September 24 at home against Nebraska. Then we'll be playing at Penn State in week two. Uh, that'll be followed by an October stretch of a home game against Rutgers away at Maryland, home against Indiana, and away at Illinois. Or or I should say November. I've got it all mixed up because we're starting in October. So that would normally, that middle month of This makes sense anyways. It's actually November. And then in December, you'll have at Michigan State and then closing out the regular season as is traditional, but it won't be Thanksgiving weekend. It'll instead be December 12 when Ohio State will host Michigan in its rivalry game. Colin, what were your initial thoughts when you saw the schedule on
1: Saturday? Well, it's funny because the way that they released it, it's like that's sort of how you get your initial thoughts because if they're going to go week by week, my initial thoughts are, well, the week one game is Nebraska, and that's perfect based on what we've seen for the past five, six weeks of of both those two fan bases and athletic departments just being so outspoken about wanting to play. But, I mean, you don't really make it too much further um, before you get to the Penn State game week two and I think that's where everything picks up because when I look at the schedule like it's awesome to have football back and and played and and what I think we both feel like is is as safe a manner as you can probably do right now at the given at, at the time um but you know I think there are really two games on the schedule that I point to and say like these are losable games these are games against good opponents that are potentially top 15 teams or better um, that that'll be good games as long as, I mean, you can never guarantee that with Ohio State because, I mean, the way that Ohio State has collected so much talent, when you have Justin Fields at quarterbacking, you have all this, you know, talent across the board, especially on offense, you know, you can't say that these games are going to be close. But when I look at the Penn State and Michigan games, there's the two that jump out so much further than everybody else. Um, and even still, like I look up and down the schedule and like, Penn State in week two, Michigan, last week of the season, I still think Ohio State's probably going to be double-digit favorites in every single game. And I, I could be wrong about that. Um, I don't really know how many points, you know, Las Vegas is going to give Penn State for a home game with no fans in it. Um, but, you know, the way that Ohio, the schedule sets up for Ohio State, I think Ohio State um, is, is, will be totally expected to run the table.
0: No way that Nebraska game in week One's a coincidence, right?
1: It's hard to believe that it is. Um, I mean, at the same time, it's like, you know, what? why would they set that up other than just to, to anger um, Nebraska fans? But, honey, like, it's so funny because, like, you hear so many complaints from Nebraska fans and, and the athletic department about wanting to play, and they get the chance to play, and it's Ohio State. And, like, you can't complain about that. I get it. It doesn't set up well for you if you want to come back and, and go – seven and one or eight. and No, or like you want this great Nebraska football revival, but you can't complain about that in my mind. You just can't after you spend so much time complaining about like any football getting played.
0: I think Bill Moose just likes to share his thoughts a lot. Uh, Bill Moose is Nebraska's athletic director and uh, he seems to have an opinion about everything, which, which we like as media members because we like it when uh people share their opinions instead of just giving uh cookie cutter quotes. Um, mm-hmm. But in in, reg- in regards to in re- in regards to the schedule, you know, I, I do think one thing that's worth pointing out, and I think there were some questions about this as well. But you know, you know, I know, I think it was shortly after the schedule was announced. I think it was uh, Quiddy Pay, the defensive end for Michigan, uh, had a tweet about how easy Ohio State's schedule was, and I think that was a lot of the uh, rhetoric around the schedule release was that you know Ohio State was given this easy schedule, but. You know, first of all, I think it's important to understand the process of how this works. That the new schedule was taken from the original schedule, and not. And and I also think it's clear, to, important to clarify because people keep saying it this way for some reason. I don't really get it. The original schedule was the nine-game schedule, the 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 one that also had non-conference games on it. The ten-game schedule. I mean, in my mind, the 10-game schedule, by the time they released that, they had to know it was coming anyway. So I don't put any stock into the 10-game schedule that was created. The original schedule was the one that was released years ago for this season. And that schedule had Nebraska, Illinois, and Iowa as Ohio State's non-conference opponents. And basically, the reason why Iowa was the team taken off, which you might say was – A stronger opponent than Illinois. But the reason why Iowa was the team taken off was because Nebraska was Ohio State's uh, permanent crossover opponent for however many years it is. I know at some point that will be Wisconsin. Right now it's Nebraska. So they were going to play Nebraska. And then because they were playing Nebraska at home, then their other crossover division game was going to be the away game. And they were already scheduled to play in Champaign this year. So that's why the games are the way they are. And, you know, I think people, I think people see that 10 game schedule and they see Iowa and Purdue and they think about what happened in 2017 and 2018. And you think, okay, those might be more realistic track games than in Illinois. And I agree with that. I I, I agree with that. and, And I get that, but I really don't think any of this was a conspiracy to give Ohio state an easy schedule and and truthfully, I, I I think a lot of it is just the reality that Ohio State is a lot better than just about every other team in the Big Ten. So yeah, you've got those two games against Penn State and Michigan, but are your marquee games on your schedule? But no matter how else you shake it out, it's gonna be hard to give Ohio State a schedule. that's really gonna be all that challenging when you're talking about guaranteed games against Rutgers maryland indiana and then a michigan state team that has given them some problems in the past but we know is going through a period of transition right now
1: yeah i mean i i think a lot of those complaints that you heard were either from nebraska fans um or like you said bill moose who um were mad about the way that the games were scheduled um aka you play what was it ohio state penn state and wisconsin in the first four weeks of the season, I believe. Um, And then for Michigan fans whose crossover opponents are Wisconsin, Minnesota. But like you said, that's just sort of how the schedule is laid out. Um, So to me, it makes sense. And I don't think that, you know, we should necessarily be harping on that or anyone should be harping on that. I get why people are mad, but also, yeah, you're right. Ohio state doesn't have to play Ohio state. And the way that the schedule aligned made it such that Ohio state in the regular season was not going to play Wisconsin or Minnesota. So the fact that they don't play them in, in this new um, schedule, like, it, it makes sense to me. Um, I think that the, the interesting thing um, – I mean, I, th- I do think that there are a lot of interesting things about this schedule. But, Dan, if we just look at the, the Michigan game and the Penn State game and we pull those those two out for a moment, Are you looking at either of those as as a potential scare for Ohio State? Is there one? uh, Is there one of those that stands out above the other? Whether it be the team that Ohio State's facing or where they're laid out on the schedule.
0: I mean, I I just look at Penn State just because. I mean, that's been that's been the team that's been most competitive with Ohio State for the past half decade. Uh, And you're going to Penn State. Obviously, there's not going to be fans. There's not going to be a whiteout, so that's going to take away some of Penn State's home field advantage but you know that's a team that's just been consistently competitive with Ohio State year in and year out and you know playing it in week two of a season I I think is very interesting because you're gonna you know I I think you're gonna see some sloppy play in the early weeks of the season and 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 you're gonna go right into that game in week two you know often Nebraska game that I think Ohio State should win easily but it's also not Rutgers you know it's not Rutgers it's not a Bowling Green or a Buffalo so it's not it's not a it's not a game – Nebraska is not a team that you can just overlook to get to Penn State. So, you know, I, I, I to me, I think, you know, that's going to be such a defining game of the season. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I really – I kind of look at the schedule and I say, October and December are going to define the season. Uh, because if you just look at the games as a way they're scheduled, and this is not accounting for cancellations and stuff that might happen, but just if you assume that all the games are played as scheduled. I mean, they should go 4-0 in November. There's, there's just no question about it. I mean, I don't think any of those games in November will be close. Playing Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana, and Illinois, I, I just don't see any of those teams being close. So I think it's going to be those first two games in October and those final two games in December that are really going to define whether the Buckeyes can go 8-0, which is what I think they need to do uh, to have a chance to, to win a national championship.
1: So your pick is Penn State over Michigan is, is the more dangerous opponent this yes. season for Ohio State. Yes. Y- yeah, I mean, it makes sense based on recent history. And, and you know, it's funny. Is like I think two years ago I might have picked Ohio-, Ohio State to lose to Michigan, and I'm pretty sure that was the game that Ohio State won 62 to 39. Yep. So ever since then I've just sworn off picking Michigan to beat Ohio State way. in perpetuity until it actually happens. Because I do feel like, like there's always a sense to me where it's like, at some point like it's not like Michigan is terrible if Michigan does bring in good talent not at Ohio State's level but they still have a talented roster at some point you do feel like they're going to get a win at some point and I and I'm never going to be the one to pick it until it happens but I will say like unless Micah Parsons plays I'm not sure if this Penn, Penn State team scares me um, nearly as much as it has in recent years it doesn't feel like you know when you're going into state college this season it's going to be the same environment obviously without you know, any fans there um, without Micah Parsons. I think that that's like you're, you're removing a first team all American type of guy in the same way that Ohio state would have, you know, lost if, if either Wyatt Davis or, or Sean Wade would have left. Um, and since they're coming back, since Justin Fields is going to be at quarterback, I do think this Ohio state team is, is one, you know, I've made the point a few times that I think it's probably better, better prepared to deal with this unconventional offense than most. I think this team's, ready to hit the ground running Um, and I think it will and and I think that honestly I think the Michigan game's potentially a little bit scarier for Ohio State than the Penn State game but but I but I say that like at the same time in the back of my head thinking like I think that Ohio State's gonna roll through all of these teams like it's so funny to even do schedule analysis right now because like I I do think that the gap between Ohio State and the non-Penn State non-Michigan teams is gigantic. And then even the gap between Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan, it's like we can we're going to have the conversations once we get to game week about you know these these might be particular areas that could scare Ohio State. These are areas that you know uh, the Nittany Lions or Wolverines could take advantage of. But if we're going to look at it just from a wide point of view right now, like I, I feel incredibly confident about Ohio State going into this fall. And it's even funny to me to to, to ask the question about which one is is a little bit more dangerous for Ohio State. I'll just go back to, you know, the the Michigan game because they have a new quarterback who I haven't seen, and I'm a little bit intrigued by what Joe Milton has um, th- this season. But also, like, I know how much talent that the, the Michigan's lost. I know what Ohio State's bringing back. So I'm still going to pick Ohio State um, very confidently, but I guess that that's my pick. And, and that sort of goes back to my point about, you know, I expect them to run the table. And I think it'd be pretty disappointing if they didn't.
0: I think our colleague, Kevin Harris, did a poll the other day on 11warriors.com, and it's like, what what's Ohio State's biggest threat in the Big Ten schedule? And I, he had Penn State, he had Michigan, he might have had a couple other teams. Remember, the last choice was COVID-19, and I'm pretty sure COVID-19 won the poll. And it should have won the poll, <laughs> because yeah. it is. It is. If Ohio State stays healthy and is firing on all cylinders, Ohio State should not lose in the Big Ten. Uh, they should just go eight. No, they should go nine. No, they should, they should win the big championship. They should go undefeated. They should lock up a playoff berth that way because they are better than everyone else in the big 10. But we say all of this with the caveat of assuming that the majority of a team stays healthy. Cause you know, you lose a Justin Fields, you lose a Sean Wade who we're going to talk a little bit more about in a few minutes. You know, you lose a Wyatt Davis, you know, you start losing some key players now, then that equalizes the playing field. And I mean, not for Rutgers. You're still going to be a Rutgers. You're still going to yeah. be a Maryland. But with a Penn State or a Michigan, you know, that's where those games potentially get interesting if you're not fully healthy. If you are fully healthy, I think you should be a double-digit favorite in every game.
1: Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, like, since this is a pandemic, like, we have no idea how this is going to play out. Like, is it, do we think that Once they start doing the daily rapid testing, you know, maybe there's a chance that, you know, a few players right away test positive and have to sit out and maybe miss that Penn State game. Or, you know, you give it more time and a few months in, all of a sudden, you know, a few players, key players test positive and maybe they miss the mission game. Like, that's the kind of stuff that is so absurd that we even have to talk about. But I have no idea what this, I I, I really don't know what this is going to look like, what this is going to play out like. Like so, so these are the kind of scheduled conversations that are that we normally have, but this year they 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 feel you know less important than ever before.
0: Is there any game other than Penn State and Michigan that like do you think there's even a remote chance of an upset?
1: All right, let let me frame this a different way because I do have one that, that you know is going to be my answer for this one. But what's the what what will be on the scoreboard the closest game um, outside of Penn State and Michigan? Um, on this schedule. And I think there are a few options, but to set this up, first off, I'll say this, as I wrote about this right away. I don't think there are any trap games on this schedule. There just aren't like, I think, I think that we play the trap game, um, trap game game uh, every off season and going into a season. And we're probably going to do that for the next decade. Now, ever since we watched them lose to Iowa and Purdue, just because we know what can happen when you have a ton of talent and then run into a weekend where you just don't have it and the other team all of a sudden turns out to be awesome for, you know, one, (laughs) for one night. Um, I don't see any trap games on this schedule, like in the typical sense where, you know, you think is Ohio State going to overlook this game? Are they going to be coming off a high and, you know, stumble? I mean, they have, I think that the options are Nebraska, but you're opening the season. Like how is it a trap game to open the season? Um, I don't think Rutgers or Maryland can be a trap game. How can Indiana be a trap game if it's coming off Rutgers and Maryland? It feels like the first real game after multiple weeks. Like, Illinois between Indiana and Michigan State, like, Illinois is not a trap game. Illinois is a trap game. Like, something has went terribly wrong with the season. And I guess you could say Michigan State on the road before Michigan. But Michigan State in December, um, after all the turmoil they, they, they've had in the offseason, I'm not really sure that Michigan State um, is going to be one of those you know teams that um, can get 49 points on Ohio state, which is what you probably need to do unless you play a classic Michigan state game where there's seven, seven feet of snow on the ground. And, and you, and you have one of those games, what was that like two years ago where Drew Crispin has to punt it, for, uh, what, 12 or 13 times it felt like over and over again, and you eke it out that way. So I guess maybe that's the answer, Dan. And if I'm going to predict, which I will do, I think your answer is going to be Michigan
0: State. It is. Yeah, that's my answer. And, yeah. and it's partially because of what you just said, because it's going to be December. Uh, December in the Big Ten in East Lansing, already a place where you've seen some ugly cold weather games. And you got that right before Michigan, seventh game in a row that's the game I could, that's the game I see. I don't, I don't think Ohio State's going to lose, but that's a game I can see being an ugly game where maybe Ohio State's, uh, doesn't have some great offensive performance or maybe it's just kind of a slog to a win, uh, in a game that they might, you know, I think if you got six straight wins and you got Michigan ahead and you're start, you maybe that's the point. You're starting to get a little too overconfident and maybe you look past the team and, you know, maybe Michigan state will, have had some time to kind of build some things up, and they're not as fresh into their transition as they are now. So I don't think Ohio State's going to lose to Michigan State. I still think they'll win by multiple scores. But uh, if I'm picking a game other than Penn State and Michigan that I think will be closest, I'm going to go with Michigan State.
1: Totally fair. And I do think that there's a chance that there's like 27 feet of snow. (laughs) Like, it's going to be played on December 5th in East Lansing it's been played earlier where it's felt like there's 27 feet of snow right. on the ground. So, so I think that that's obviously the thing that we just can't account for right now, but like my team is the same team that I think I said earlier in the year that, you know, I like, and that's Indiana. Um, I don't think I could ever see Ohio state losing to Indiana just because it doesn't like Indiana is not one of those teams that has ever really given Ohio state, you know, the, the, um, at least in recent history, the game down to the wire. Um, but like, this is, I I like what, I like what Tom Allen's built there. And I think, I I think, you know, we haven't seen Ohio state against Michael Penix, their quarterback, um, who was hurt last year. And I'll be interested to see what he's like against this Ohio state defense, uh, which is obviously replacing its entire secondary. Then they have 17 returning starters back. They have their starting running back back. Their defense returns, nine starters. They have their thousand yard slot receiver and, and WAP, which is, you know, tremendous name, so shout out to him. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, if I'm looking at a schedule where I think Ohio State's going to be favored by double digits in every single game, yeah, I'll go ahead and pick the team with the, the quarterback that I think is intriguing with the returning running back, nine returning starters on, on defense. I, I think Indiana is an intriguing game, and, and I'll say this, too. Like, that that is in the middle of a November where there are no interesting games so after Rutgers and Maryland, I will be absolutely thrilled to see them against Indiana. And, I, and I'll be honest, like, I think us in the media might be a little bit too excited because at that point we'll be, you know, pouring through some Gunner Hoke film. You
0: got a little nervous here when you said WAP. I didn't know where that one was going. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I mentioned, you know, a few minutes ago, Sean Wade. And I feel like we got to talk about that as well, because we, we did talk about Wyatt Davis's return last week, but at the time, we didn't know yet about Sean Wade, and he ultimately made his announcement on Thursday that he would be coming back to Ohio State, and I'm really not sure it can be overstated just how important it is that Sean Wade's playing this fall, because in my mind, other than Justin Fields, there is not a more important player on this team than Sean Wade, and, you know, we talked about a little bit last week about, you know, concerns of the secondary, and I still have concerns of the secondary, but those concerns would have been a lot greater if Sean Wade was not coming back.
1: Yeah. I think I like have my finger on the panic button. Like I, I think it, I think it was a gigantic deal that Sean Wade returned. Um, and he'll obviously be playing in a different position as an outside cornerback, but I think both of us are pretty confident that his skill set's going to translate to that really well. Um, it'll be interesting just how often he's thrown at, especially early in the year when you look at the rest of the secondary and think like you know maybe you don't want to target the guy who you know is going to be a first-round cornerback when you have a bunch of other first-year starters uh, in the defense so I'll be interested to see how you know Kerry Combs uses him Um, but you're right as a like this is this is a this is a huge deal to a secondary that I think both of us have tons of questions about still um, but especially if we're going to talk about Ohio State as a national championship contender, like the, the, the Sean Way return, I think more so than anything else, it helps them when they get to the playoff because if you look around at the rest of the big 10 teams, quarterbacks and wide receivers, I mean, unless you're going to go up against, you know, Minnesota would be a fascinating matchup if you, if you played against them in the big 10 title game. But I'm looking at Trevor Lawrence, I'm looking at, you know, a, a Spencer Rattler, someone like that, um, who, who you'll face eventually in, um January um if college football can make it that far <laughs> um that's that's where Sean Wade to me impacts impacts Ohio State the most yeah I agree I mean we saw
0: it last year that they really had no trouble in the Big Ten and then you know even if that loaded secondary they had last year Clemson gave them more problems than anybody had all year so uh, I think you absolutely you, you need a Sean Wade Uh, for that stretch of the season to win those really big games. Um, You know, I think the rest of their secondary is talented. And, you know, I'm I'm intrigued to see how those other guys step up. But absolutely nobody else in that secondary is a sure thing right now. Uh, Not even close to it. And and so I think to have a guy like Sean, who's been there, he's played a couple years, you know, he's a leader. I mean, he's a a leader for that secondary, a leader for that entire defense. I think just to have him back anchoring that secondary is crucial. And I think it gives you a little bit more margin for error than everybody else. Not that there's a ton, because they're just going to pick on the weakest link and they're not going to throw at Sean if the other guys are weak. But at least now you're not replacing everyone. You know, you look at those outside corners, you've got Seven Banks and Cam Brown and and Tyreek Johnson. And those are all third-year guys that you're looking to take that leap and and maybe be starters or at least play regularly this year. But if you needed them to fill both outside cornerback spots, I think that would have been really dicey. Now you've got a guy in Sean Wade who I don't think is ever going to leave the field. That gives you more flexibility with what you do with the rest of your secondary. Uh, And certainly I think if that outside cornerback spot you know, you've got some good, you've got some good candidates there, but they're all still unproven.
1: Yeah, you make a good point with the flexibility because you know if you don't have Sean Wade on this defense, you have four upperclassmen cornerbacks, and in a world where you have four upperclassmen cornerbacks, I just can't see Ohio State playing a defense where it primarily has three cornerbacks on the field and one safety. I just think they would they would just be forced to play with two safeties more more time than maybe they would like to. Uh, than than Ryan Day specifically would like to. I think with Sean Wade back, you know you have Sean Wayne on the outside. Um, You have Cam Brown and Seven Banks and Tyreek Johnson for that other outside spot. You have Marcus Williamson at at slot corner, and then you have Safeties and and Josh Proctor and Marcus Hooker. Um, And I think that that gives you enough versatility as long as everybody can stay healthy, um, which is the the, the biggest question hovering over everything. As long as everyone can stay healthy, I think you can make that secondary work if – you believe in those guys. And I think that that's, you know, it was interesting talking to um, Kerry Combs and and the defensive backs on Tuesday for the first time, because, you know, I think that we have an idea of what the secondary will look like, at least from a cornerback perspective and that we're going to see Marcus Williamson in the slot. I think I would be pretty shocked if he does not start there.
0: Yeah. That was my biggest takeaway from Tuesday night too. when he was asked about, where else he was playing and who else is playing in the slot? Uh, he said he's been pretty much practicing in the slot, and then he said basically the only ever guys who've been practicing there regularly are Ronnie Hickman and Cam Martinez, and something that both. That was both, a funny
1: duo. I don't know about and, you, and but something I, that I was, both I those guys. That.
0: I don't know, but I wasn't expecting it because they like, Hickman had been there; he had been the second team guy of a one spring practice we saw him, then Cam Martinez. I knew that was the position they were targeting for him, but the point I was going to make about those two guys is neither one of them has ever played a snap of college football. So I think that tells you right there. I think it's first thing I think it tells you is that I think they're confident in Marcus Williamson, because I think if if you weren't, you'd have to have another guy with some experience practicing regularly at that spot. Now, at the same time, I also don't believe that this defense is going to have three cornerbacks in the field hundred percent of the time, like it did last year. I don't, I, 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 I don't think they want us to know that, but I, I, I my feeling is we're going to see some different looks. I think some of the free cornerback stuff was driven by the fact that you had, you know, free future first round corners in Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett and Sean Wade. And I, I think you could see more looks with two safeties uh, with Josh Proctor and Marcus Hooker. Uh, you know, maybe even some stuff with more, you know, bullet types like a Court Williams. I mean, Ryan Day brought Court Williams up out of a blue last week on his radio show, which tells me there, there could be a role for Court Williams as a freshman. I, I I believe that. Um, and, And you got all these linebackers too. I think, you know, Kerry Combs, he was asked last night, Tuesday night, specifically about, you know, multiple personnel groupings. And he said, he thought that was important that, uh in today's game you have to have multiple personnel groupings on defense which tells me we're going to see some different looks I I think that slot corner is still going to play a lot which means I think Marcus Williamson is going to play a lot but I'm definitely not going into the season assuming that that slot corner is going to be on the field every single play like Sean Wade was last year
1: yeah to to the point about you know Ronnie Hickman and and Cam Martinez like I, I was surprised But also I think more of my surprise was like, wow, like those are the two guys that's where Ohio state's at. And, and, and those two guys, I think, you know, people were rightly excited about landing those two Um, Ronnie Hickman as a safety out of New Jersey. And then Cam Martinez as an athlete, you know, out of Michigan. But I think, like you said, the fact that they just haven't played a single snap of college football sort of tells you where Ohio state's at when it comes to the cornerback position, where, you never really want to plan long-term for guys like Ronnie Hickman coming off an ACL injury or Cam Martinez, you know, you know, four-star recruited, didn't even get spring camp uh, to be your two backups in the slot. And that's where I think to your point, like if they go three cornerbacks, I do expect that Marcus Williamson is going to be the guys out there, but I don't really know that they're going to do that all the time um, because if Marcus Williamson, you know, if something happened to Marcus Williamson, I'm not sure that you want Ronnie Hickman, you know, at least to begin the season to be out there as much as, as, you know, at least Ohio state had its three cornerback look last season. Um, so I think that that, that'll be fascinating. The other thing I'll say, like you just, what I think the toughest thing about this preseason camp for us, at least is going to be picking through the BS and like trying to figure out what we actually believe, um, Because we don't, they're not going to allow us to see any practice. Um, So a lot of what we're going to try and garner is through interviews. And I'll say this, like when I was like, when Kerry Combs was talking about his cornerbacks, like, I think he, I think he does believe they're talented. I I really do. I didn't really get the feeling where he's like, all right, this secondary, people don't really see what's coming. Um, This secondary is going to be awesome. And Hey, maybe I could be wrong. I think that he thinks they're talented, and I think that, you know, he wants to see them get on the field because, you know, I do think that there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for a lot of these guys because they're going to be stepping into positions. Even Marcus Hooker, or not Marcus Hooker, Marcus Williamson, he's a senior. He hasn't played 100 defensive snaps in a single season. Um, And if that's going to be the one senior on the team, one of five upperclassmen, I think that tells you a lot about, you know, what Ohio State has in its cornerbacks, which is a lot of talented guys who are once four and five star recruits who haven't really done much at all at the college level. So it's fair to temper expectations right now.
0: Yeah. I think if I'm reading between the lines, I think, I think they think these guys are talented, but I think other than Sean, they, they probably don't, you know, it's, it's, it's not like this guy's going to be a superstar. I think they probably do have some legitimate reservations about all of them. Um, Yeah. I mean, one thing I did notice and, and uh, you know, I again, this is where we are. We have to read into every little thing because this is where we are. You think I did Cam Brown on the radio show last week? They ran through the DBs. Ryan Day and Kerry Combs. They both mentioned seven banks. They both mentioned Cam Brown. They both mentioned Josh Proctor. They both mentioned Marcus Hooker. They both mentioned Marcus Williamson. Neither of them mentioned Tyreek Johnson. Maybe I'm reading something into that, but I've always kind of thought Tyreek has been behind seven and Cam. So that's kind of still where I'm at. My this is I mean this is my guess. My my guess is, I think, Sean. I think Sean's going to be CB one. I don't think he's ever going to come off the field, rotation or not. I just don't think you could take that guy off the field. I think my guess. I think Seven Banks will start at the cornerback two, but I think I think it will be a rotation of him and Cam Brown both playing a lot. Uh, maybe close to pretty equal snaps. I think Marcus Williamson will be the slot corner in those free cornerback sets, and I think I think Josh Proctor will start, but I'm not confident in that at all. I think that one could go either way, uh, and I think you'll see more two safety looks with both him and Josh, both him and Marcus Hooker being on the field together more often than we saw with two safeties last year.
1: Yeah, I honestly. I agree with all of that, which is unfortunate. Um, but you know what's funny is like, like I would like to disagree, but literally all we're doing is just listening to people talk and then trying to figure out what they mean. And it's like you can't come to too many different conclusions <laughs> based on that. Um, and yeah, I'm at the same. I, I'm in the same boat. It, I'll say this: like, I think it's really unfortunate for you know a lot of fans out there who are excited for Ohio State that they have to wait another month to really figure out what's going on. Um, because, you know, like, obviously they don't open up practices to, to fans, but they sort of do as well. And that, you know, media is there taking video, uh, multiple times, um, during practice, uh, preseason camp practice usually. And also, you know, we're doing practice reports and, and we're seeing things rather than just hearing things. And I think a lot of times it's not that people lie, but sometimes, you don't really know what to ask because you don't see things. But if you do, like, I don't know, if we saw them going to safety right out the gate, we're not going to go start asking a lot about the slot cornerback. We're going to start asking a lot about the two safety. And that's the kind of stuff where we just don't really know. Um, And I think that's unfortunate for for fans just because you're about to go a full month with just people guessing, um, which can't, can't really do a ton more than that because they're on lockdown right now.
0: Yeah. I think like this is a week that it's kind of hit me and this was actually going to be one of my free things, so we can maybe even segue into that. But, like, because it goes off of this, I'm just going to bring it up now. That I think this week it kind of hit me that, like, now that football season's, like, actually happening and we're starting to get back to normal, it's like we're not really going to get back to normal this fall. Like, for us, like, from our perspective, our jobs are going to be very different this fall. And I'm not complaining about that because we have to adapt. Everybody has to adapt. Uh, It's just the way it is. And football is better than no football, but it's going to be different. Like just like doing interviews via zoom, like, you know, when, when we were doing those Tuesday night, like you just realize like it's unfortunate because like typically in, in the typical setup, you know, a lot of times we'll we'll get more players because they'll bring them all out at once. Whereas on this, they can only do one at once. And it's just harder to get, it's harder I mean, the biggest thing that I think is hard from my perspective and, and, and it's going to make it harder, I think, when we're really trying to like dig into stuff like that is like it's a lot harder to ask follow up questions in the Zoom setting. Like w- when you're there in person and you notice stuff, you can kind of you can you know, you can ask several questions. You can kind of force your way in there if you need to ask something. Whereas on Zoom, you're kind of at mercy of getting called on. And then getting the chance to ask your question. And if not, like I I could just speak from my experience last night. I did not get called on for, for Gary and That's just the way it goes. But like, I know I had a question that I wanted to ask him that did not get asked. So now I'll wait for that answer until the next time we get him. So it's, it's just kind of unfortunate. Which will,
1: by the way, literally be not until
0: the season starts. Yeah. (laughs) It's just unfortunate. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't want it to be taken as a complaint and it's nobody's fault. It's just the way it is under these circumstances. I mean, I know like for NFL writers, it's been a bigger adjustment because they're used to have an open locker room multiple times a week and now they're doing zoom calls like us. So everybody has to adjust. It's just the way it is, but it's definitely going to be different. And I, and I do think, you know, it's going to be our job to, to do our jobs the best we possibly can, even with these limitations. But I do think that if you notice certain things, especially can like be these weeks leading up to the season, if there's just not quite as much detail on certain things as you're accustomed to, it's just going to be a reality of a fact that we just don't have as much access as we would under normal circumstances.
1: Yeah, it's pretty inside baseball, but at the same time, like if you're listening to us on an Ohio state podcast, like you care enough to know about you know certain things that you know maybe the casual fan right. wouldn't know about and, and yeah I think there are probably some people who are going to notice you know certain things that you know either we don't know or, or other people don't know um, and that's going to translate to fans who, who don't really know it and I remember you know we got we got surprised last year when they came out and they had the single high safety we weren't we weren't even expecting that um, and we also weren't expecting them to go under center as much as they did in week one. I remember both of those things being at least a little bit surprising. Um, so, you know, we, you know, we can be wrong in the preseason, but I'm just saying that it's, it, I, I hope that people don't notice <laughs> that that there's probably more guesswork going on uh, than there usually is, but it was, it, it was good to hear from the cornerbacks for the first time and, you know, Kerry Combs said that he doesn't know when we're going to hear from him next, but I would love to hear from Kerry Combs more often because that man, that man loves to give an interview and he's great at it.
0: Yeah. He's all, he's always a joy to talk to. I think as anybody who's uh, seen Kerry Combs do anything can expect. Yes. The, the human can of Red Bull. <laughs> I mean, even, even on a zoom, like he just sits down. Hello everybody. You know, you just get that, that energy. It's just, it's uh it radiates from him.
1: There's only two people who can blow out my, uh, my AirPod speakers. That is Kerry Combs and Tim May. <laughs>
0: they, they, they are both, uh, energetic people. No doubt about that.
1: Yes. Yes, they are. Um, do we want to, do we want to talk about budget cuts at all since that was news today? Or do we want to talk about, you know, three things that, that we think are. Yeah, we could just hit on it. Name?
0: We can just hit on it briefly. Um, there, was, there was news today, which is why our podcast is coming out a little later because uh, we were planning to record it uh, early Wednesday morning and then found out this news was coming, so we had to delay recording. But uh, there was news on Wednesday morning that uh, the athletic department uh, is projecting a $107 million deficit. Now, that's a little misleading uh, because they haven't factored uh, media rights revenue into that yet so uh it, it, it won't actually be a 107 million dollar loss for the year but uh they did make some budget cuts uh you know, 25 full-time staffers uh have been laid off uh there's going to be furloughs over the course of a year for uh staffers um coaches ryan day chris holtman other, others who are under contract basically the people who make a lot of money uh are, have voluntary five percent pay cuts uh, from their base salaries uh which to be quite frank for ryan day and, and chris holtman means they are are not giving up uh, any any amount of money of it is going to affect their way of life in any way
1: but well and to make that clear like together if i did the math correctly is that less than a hundred thousand dollars significantly yeah I mean, that isn't that is not much from two people who make uh, multiple million dollars a year.
0: Yeah, I have I have a feeling uh, Doug Lee Maurice will have some uh, strong takes on his Buckeye Talk Pod about this, based on the the question he asked Gene Smith and the presser today.
1: Yes, yes. And which you know I think it's totally fair because if you're going if you're going to go out there and, and talk about a hundred seven million dollar deficit. Um, that obviously will probably be closed a little bit based on, you know, them gathering information about the media deals and whatnot. But then you lay off, you know, 25 people, you have hundreds of people go on furloughs and Chris Holtman and Ryan Day are taking cuts of less than a hundred thousand dollars when their team seasons are cut and their revenue, their team's revenues are cut. That's um, quite something. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, I think there's probably
0: room for more there. Uh, but Gene said he was a hundred percent comfortable uh, with the cuts they were taking. So, um, you know, they've decided that's what they need to do right now. And I think the good news is Ohio state isn't cutting any of its 36 sports. You know, now, you know, I think there could be debates about, you know, whether it really is smart for them to be funding a lot of sports that don't make money right now, if everything that's going on, but, but certainly, you know, I'm, I'm glad for those athletes, Uh, those coaches everyone who's involved in those sports that their sports were not cut because honestly I I I thought you know inevitability would ultimately catch up there and there's still a possibility that it could but I I thought inevitably Ohio State would ultimately be forced to cut some sports so I think it's a win for Ohio State that they haven't had to go that route Uh, but certainly unfortunate uh, for the people who who lost their jobs today.
1: It is Dan. You wanna you wanna roll right into three things we think.
0: Yeah, I already I already gave one of mine, so you can you can go ahead with your first one.
1: All right, I'm just gonna go ahead and name like three guys who I'm intrigued by, because that's really the point of the year where I'm at. Because you know, we're a month away from the season or so, and I'm just starting to think about football and guys who I'm looking forward to. And like the first guy, I I just gotta say, like I cannot believe it's 2020 we're in a pandemic, we're actually going to play football, and we're still not sure what position DeMario McCall is playing. I can't believe it. I mean, I sort of can, but I still can't. (laughs) I mean, ever since I've been covering Ohio State, ever since, like, literally three or four years ago, we've all thought that, you know, DeMario is this playmaking, explosive weapon who, when he gets the ball in his hands, great things can happen for Ohio State. And you never really knew where exactly he was going to fit in. Under Urban Meyer, you thought, you know, maybe he's that classic Urban Meyer H back. Um, can get some carries, can, you know, be a be a weapon as a pass uh, as a as a pass catcher out of the backfield, play in the slot a little bit, um, do sort of everything. And that's sort of been his position, but it hasn't led to anything at all. And the fact that Ryan Day on his radio show said that they're still trying to play him in, in both at both receiver. Um, and running back, I think one like I just think Ohio State's failed Demario in a sense, um, and it, with the total inability to find any sort of position for him, I'm sure there's it's a two way street. I'm everything is. It's not as though Demario is this Heisman Trophy candidate that Ohio State just can't figure out a way to to, to do anything with him. Um, but I but I can't help but think you know something just has gone wrong there because like years ago, literal years ago at this point, you saw the ball in his hands. You're like, wow, if that guy can really get in a groove, they can figure out how to how to unleash this guy. So great things can happen for them, and, and they just haven't. And to me, it's just crazy that they're in the exact same place. Um, I, I get, I, I'm simultaneously surprised and not surprised at all because we've been hearing the exact same message out of Ohio State for, for um, now two head coaching regimes. Um, but it's still unfortunate because everybody is so enamored with Demario, and, and this as a fifth-year senior; is going to be his last shot. Yeah, I mean, tr- truthfully, I think
0: the hype train for Demario was got way out of control years ago, and I think other Eleven Warriors writers were probably uh, partially responsible for that. But uh, I agree. I mean, it's I I think the fact that you know this is a guy is a fifth-year senior, and you still don't know what position he's going to play is not a it, it you know that, that would suggest a failure on someone's part to to not know where he's going to fit in and, and truthfully like i mean i just look at i just look at the roster um and i'll i'll probably end up even segueing into my second thing here because my second thing was going to be about receivers but i just look at it and I, and i i say i i still don't i still really don't see it where he's going to fit in this year because i or think why? I think Trey Sermon and Master Teague are going to be the top two running backs. I think they're going to get the majority of snaps there. And I look at the receivers. You've moved Garrett Wilson to the slot. And then you see Jackson Smith and Jigba loses Black Stripe as a first player. And it, it I mean, we saw him, but one practice we got to see, but one practice that we're basing all of our opinions off for seven months until we finally could see him play a game. I mean, he looked fantastic in that practice. It sounds like he's just doing fantastic behind the scenes. So I'm going to be really surprised if he's not in the rotation. I think he's most likely going to be at that slot position as well. So I think that's going to be the slot receiver rotation. I, I think Trey Servin and Master Geek is going to be a running back rotation. I just don't know if there's a role for DeMario. I mean, I think – I I've still I fought for a couple of years. I still think maybe there's like a passing down role there as a passing down back. Uh, somebody on Twitter said they hope they use him like Alvin Kamara. Uh, I'm guessing that's probably not going to happen, but you know, is there some kind of situational role for him? I mean, I think that's gotta be the hope, but it just seems like they haven't been quite been willing to go there. Maybe they will be this year. I'm still not really sold on it. though, cause I think, I think Trey Sermon's a well-rounded back. I think Master Teague's a guy they really like. And I just don't know if you're going to take those guys off the field regularly for Demario, I, who, who they just—I—I I don't think is truly a running back. I think he's mostly been for receivers. But is he better than Garrett Wilson or Jackson Smith and Jigba? I, I don't know that he is. Uh, and and to continue my point on that, for my second thing is, yeah, I think, I think there's going to be at least two freshman receivers in the rotation. And I'm beginning to think there could be three, because we saw G. Scott Jr. lose his black stripe on Wednesday morning too. And you know, for all the you know for the early talk on Jalen Harris, I, we haven't really heard anything about him recently. And you know, I'm not I'm not counting him out by any means, but you know, you know, I, I think we know this. We know Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson and and Jameson Williams are going to be in the rotation those are their top three I don't know if they're all going to start because I think Chris Olave and Jameson Williams play the same position but I think those are their top three I think after that it's more open and I you know I think you know it it could very well the other if it's a six-man rotation I think the other three could very well end up being Jackson Smith and Jigba Julian Fleming and G. Scott Jr. I if I was betting on it, I would still say two receivers are going to be in a rotation, but I, I think three is, is a realistic possibility.
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, the more that, the more that Justin Fields and Ryan Day talked about those freshman wide receivers last week, as I wrote about, you just sort of got your head like they really think these guys are special. And, and, and I don't know, you know, if they had, say if they still had an Austin Mack, uh, a Ben Victor, a KJ Hill on the roster, if they had veterans, who they'd seen play and knew they believed in. Maybe, maybe, maybe we don't feel this way. Um, Maybe they have to wait their turn a little bit, but when you have a complete lack of that and when, yes, Jalen Harris is a veteran, he's on the roster. He's a redshirt junior. He's been around the program for a while. um, He has that seniority, but he also hasn't really played at all. um, I'm not really sure that that's a great benefit on his side. Um, I think experience matters and I don't, like, even though he's a redshirt junior, it's not like he has experience. He's He's been on the sidelines for a lot of big games. He hasn't played in those big games. So I'm not sure that that necessarily matters in his favor. So you're right. I'll, I'll be fascinated to see what they do there. I think Brian Hartline has some you know, tough decisions to make. And and you also have to like weigh, like, how many freshmen do you want uh, in, in the rotation? I get that they're extremely talented. Um, do you think – you know maybe an eight game regular season can allow them to hold up better um how do you think that'll affect them i don't know i think there are a lot of interesting questions when it comes to you know playing that many freshmen um wide receivers but like you i've sort of got the vibe lately that that you know they're not going to be scared to put them out there in big moments and again
0: all of this assumes everybody's staying healthy there's a good chance you're gonna lose guys over the course of the season anyway so there's a good chance they're going to need all those guys and Jalen Harris to play regardless. But I, I do, I, I do. I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think they're going to be afraid to take the training wheels off for those guys. I, I don't think they're going to be afraid to put those guys out there in the rotation from, from week one, because I think they really believe in, in their talent.
1: Yeah, I think our own Andrew Ellis thinks that Jason Smith and Jake was going to be like the best wide receiver to ever come through Ohio State. I don't really know that. I'm, I'm not right quite there, there yet. I think he's going to be really <laughs> good, but I'm not quite there yet. Yeah, no, Andrew's there though. So shout out to him. Um, my second thing I've, I've thought about is like, when Kerry Combs is talking about Haskell Garrett's progress, like what in the world? Like how can you get shot in the face and then not be ruled out for this season? Like I think that that's like when it, you know, when he got shot initially, you immediately don't really think about football at all. And you think, well, well, that's obviously just a terrible, terrible situation to be in. Literally could not even imagine getting shot in the face when you're trying to break up an argument, as, you know, he told police in, in the in the public police report. Um And the fact that Kerry Combs, you know, says, like, you know, typically you'd think you hear shot in the face, like ruled out for the season, ruled out for a career, think pass football and, and what, you know, life will be like without football. It doesn't seem like they're ruling him out even for this season. Like if we see Hassel Garrett on the field this fall, like, I don't even know, like that would be the craziest thing in the world. Um, but, you know, the way that Kerry Combs is talking about it, I'm I'm certainly not ruling it out. Yeah. I mean,
0: I, I'm not either. I, I, somebody had asked me about it in in the comments of one of my stories before. Kerry Combs talked on Tuesday, and you know, the biggest thing I said, and I'm still gonna kind of say it here is like, I don't wanna speculate on Haskell Garrett. I don't wanna make any assumptions one way or the other on Haskell Garrett Mm -hmm. because we're not talking about a hamstring strain or a torn ACL or anything like that. We're talking about somebody getting shot in the face, and I have no idea how to predict how long it's going to take someone to be able to play after getting shot in the face. So I just don't want to make any assumptions. He could be ready for week one. He might not be able to play all year. I have no idea. Um, but that certainly sounded like a positive update uh, from Kerry Collins. I mean, I know we saw a photo last week of, of Haskell uh, at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, and he looked like you know generally like healthy, and he was there. So like it seems like he's uh, he's at least going to stuff. I don't know how much he's doing right now because we're not at practice. We don't get injury reports from ohio state so i don't know how much he's actually doing but he's at least there he's at least you know a participant in team activities so i think that's a good sign i mean in terms of you know where they'll have him back this year and you know truthfully like you know, this is something i have thought about too is like they need haskell garrett because like if they don't have haskell garrett like you do not have a lot of depth at defensive tackle like you look at that free tech spot and you're basically if you don't have haskell garrett you're really counting on Teron Vincent who did not play a single snap last year to be your guy at that free tech spot, or you need a Jaron cage or, you know, some of these Jayden freshmen, who we Jaden McKenzie, Jay, I, I forgot about him. Yeah. Jaden McKenzie for sure. Uh, or, you know, one of these freshmen who we don't even know what positions they are going to play yet, or a Cormante Hamilton who moved from tight end. I mean, they're going to really need some guys to step up at that spot especially if Haskell's not available or if anybody else is unavailable for any reason. because you know, we know that you know we know Tommy Togi is going to start at the nose and we think he's going to be really good. but you know Antoine Jackson's played a good amount, but beyond them, it, it, there's a lot of question marks. We we've talked about like the secondary being the biggest question mark, like it is, but like to me, defensive tackles affirm firm number two on question marks for me because they're just so inexperienced there.
1: Yeah, you know I have my questions about the defensive line since I've only written about them forty seven times over the past eight months or so. Um so yeah, it, especially if they don't have Haskell Garrett, that's just one more. Dan, what is your final thing that you've been thinking about? I'm just gonna say, like, I think and you
0: wrote about this a couple of days ago, and like I thought about it too, but I don't I, I, I think some people are not being open minded enough about the Big Ten's plan and that it really could work. Because I think a lot of people they just they they see a game or another conference gets canceled and go, well, there's no way it's going to work for the Big Ten. And, and maybe 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 it'll be right. Maybe it will be a disaster. But the Big Ten, what they the plan that they have in place right now, and I'm not saying the Big Ten handled this whole thing correctly, but just in terms of the plan that they have in place in terms of daily testing that they're planning to do starting in October, that's a more comprehensive plan than any of these other conferences have gone into their seasons with. So I think there's a better chance that the Big Ten is going to be able to play the vast majority of its games without having, you know, all kinds of cancellations. Again, I could be wrong. We don't know. There's so many unknowns of this whole thing. But I do think the plan the Big Ten has in place – you know, with the daily testing, with being able to identify these cases very quickly, I do think that's going to increase the Big Ten's chances of being able to get through this season successfully. And 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 I and I do think that like people should keep an open mind to that. I think you know some of the rhetoric out there is just there's no chance this is gonna work. And to me, it's like, let's give it a chance, let's see if it works. We we really don't know, but I think the plan that they have in place gives the big 10 a more realistic chance of being able to get through a season than if they were just trying to do what all the other conferences are doing at this point.
1: You can have two simultaneous thoughts. You can think that the big 10 totally bungled uh, it's, it's, you know, start to the season, then following cancellation of the season. And then five weeks later, restart the season. You can think that they completely mishandled that. And I I do, like we talked about on this podcast, But you can also think that what they have in place right now might work. And we've said it a million times, there are no guarantees in 2020. I think I wrote that at the end of the story you're referring to. But I think that this has a chance to work. And it's really because when you look at it, like the Big Ten is banking on individual cases um, being caught and having there being little or no spread from, from player to player. And if you're doing that, you're essentially banking on know a certain amount of players that are probably going to test positive but those being individual cases that you can take care of handle and then deal with the rest of the team which is going to go out and practice and play games um and and know that you're going to do it on a clean field and not worry about any spreading during those team activities and i think as long as you have those daily rapid tests in place i think that that makes sense obviously you know, you can't – you don't know what players are going to do all the time when they're away from the facility, and that's the part that's just impossible for Big Ten teams uh, or the conference to know. But right now, you're right. Like, it drives me a little bit crazy when people just roll their eyes at this um, because they've rolled their eyes for the past six weeks. And I do, at the same time, get it because, like, Big Ten really messed up along the way. But, like, I, I do think that this can work. And I do think especially when you look around and like Houston just had its fourth game cancelled. They haven't even played a game yet. They've had four cancelled. I don't think that that's gonna happen in the Big Ten. I really don't. And I could be totally proven wrong. Um but I but I don't I don't foresee something like that. Well it
0: can't happen. That's that's for sure. If it happens, <laughs> that team is not gonna have much of a season.
1: No, no. Then you're looking at a maximum of a four game season, which I apologize to Ohio State, but that would not uh I'll make you Um, playoff-worthy. My final thing, I'll just make this quick since we mentioned him. Like, of guys who I'm just intrigued by, like Ronnie Hickman's fascinating to me because I feel like nobody knows anything about him. Um, He was a guy who committed from New Jersey. He was, I believe, the fifth highest or sixth highest rated player in the 2019 recruiting class. You know, he was overshadowed a little bit in that class when it comes to the Zach Harrison's and Gary Wilson's and Harry Miller's of the world. I think those three guys really got most of the headlines. Makes sense. I think all three of those guys are going to be potential first rounders at some point in the near future. Um, but Ronnie Hickman is also a guy who came in, committed to Greg Greg Ciano, was really disappointed when he didn't get to play for Greg Schiano. Jeff Halfley comes in. Um, I remember talking to his high school coach last spring, and you know Jeff Halfley had a great relationship with Ronnie Hickman's high school coach. So you know he told Ronnie Hickman believe in Jeff Halfley, and then he believes in. Jeff Halfley and he's you know rehabbing from a torn ACL, um, and then Jeff Halfley leaves, and now he's on to position coach number three in two years. And uh, Kerry Combs, um, and and obviously Matt Barnes is still there, who's technically now the safeties coach He's going to be working a lot with Ronnie Hickman. Although I guess if Ronnie Hickman's maybe cornerback, like what what do here's my I guess here's my thing about him. I have no idea what to think about Ronnie Hickman. Like, we don't know anything about Ronnie Hickman, but if he's going to be a backup nickelback uh, or, or slot cornerback, when the last we heard of him, he had a torn ACL and he was enrolled in Ohio State, um, committed to Jeff Halfley as a safety. Like, I have no idea about Ronnie Hickman. All I know is he was at one point the 115th best player in his recruiting class. He's really good. And at some point we're going to get to see him this season. I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see what we what we can learn. Yeah, there's so many question marks about <laughs>
0: secondary and what it's going to look like and, you know, the future of it and all that. But, you know, I, I do think one one thing that I, I've thought about, you know, since last year when we saw them go to this mostly free cornerback one safety defense is that if you're going to continue to do that, not all of those guys can be safeties because there's just not going to be a way to get all those guys on the field if they're all going to be deep safeties. So I, I think somebody in there in there was going to have to move and, you know, we'll see how this works out for Ronnie Hickman. I think, you know, it, it, at first there was some thought he could be like a bullet linebacker type maybe. And now we're talking about him as a slot corner type. So uh, I, I think that's a bit unexpected from what we would have thought of him coming in. But, I mean, the other issues are we, we just haven't seen him play. So, like, we just don't – I don't have a good read on his skill set because we haven't seen him play a single snap yet. We haven't. We've seen him in mm-hmm. one one practice. So – uh, there's just a lot of, uh, there's a lot of unknowns there with Ronnie Hickman. Uh, but we'll, we'll see how it all, you know, ultimately plays out. All right. We'll, we'll take some, uh, reader questions to, to finish this thing off, uh, running out of time here. So we'll try to go uh, a bit rapid fire through some of these questions. First question came from OSU bias. It is mm-hmm. is the fan base collectively overconfident about a defense that replaces eight starters and the coordinator from last year's death machine? That much turnover and the fact that we are only two years removed from the worst Ohio State defense is mildly concerning. No, and I mean I'd, I'd make two points about that. I mean, for one, I mean I think we've talked about it on the show already, but like we do think there's some real concerns with the defense, uh, especially the secondary. And I, I do think those are real concerns. I mean, if if I'm predicting. I think the defense is going to take a step back this year. And that's simply because, I mean, you're losing three first-rounders, including Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett. I mean, you're losing a guy in Jordan Fuller who was a really rock-solid safety. I mean, you're losing two, uh, you know, three really good defensive tackles in Devon Hamilton, Jay Sean Cornell, Robert Landers. You're losing a really good linebacker in Malik Harrison. There's a lot to replace, and I think there's talent, but I I can't look at all that they're replacing – and just say that I think this defense is going to be as good or better. I I just, I just don't really see that. I think it's most likely the defense is going to take a step back. In terms of the overconfident thing though, like I talked to Colin about this a little bit off air. Like I, I mean, I don't know if it matters if the fan base is overconfident in terms of like how the team's going to do, but I'm a little bit worried that the team is getting overconfident at this point, because More than I can remember in years, this team just seems to, this team, you know, this team is not being shy about the fact that its expectation is to go win a national championship. And I I do wonder, I mean, as we talked about before the schedule, there's not a whole lot of trap games on there, so they could probably get away with it for most of the season. But I I do wonder if this team is maybe getting a little bit ahead of itself and, and a little bit overconfident. Uh, when I think they do have some real issues to work through, especially on the defensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, and ultimately, like, how, however much you want to talk, like, that's not ultimately going to affect your play on the field, but you're sort of setting yourself up for something bad if if something were to go wrong. And I do think, like, like I remember last year, Damon Arnett said something about how, like, the silver bullets are back, and they literally hadn't played a game. And I was like, Damon, you might want to slow your roll. But at the same time, like, that's Damon Arnett. Like, you know that Daniel Arnett's going to say something like that. You're sort of getting guys who you don't really see that from saying that right now. And I think that's the part that I'm my eyebrows of raised where it's like, either this team actually is going to be awesome and, like, we shouldn't even worry about some of the things that we're talking about, or, like, they're setting themselves up for a little bit of a disappointment. Um, and I don't know which is which, but, yeah, I, I can't say that my eyebrows haven't been raised a couple times about, you know, certain people saying things. Yeah. I think
0: most of it is legitimate confidence and I think they Mm -hmm. are going to be really good, but I I just, I just wonder like if, 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 if this team maybe, you know, and I think, I think a big part of it is this team had to be upfront about its goals because they were fighting to save their chance to compete for a national championship. So they had to make it clear. Yeah. We think we can win a national championship because you're trying to, let have the big 10 give you that opportunity but I think over to the next month I think you're going to probably see Ryan Day try to try to bring those expectations down a little bit I I just think like I think the snake's out of the can at this point like I, I don't I don't know but you can you can put it back in there because uh, I, I just think you know when you've had Justin Fields I mean Justin Fields who last year said nothing ever remotely controversial and he's out there saying, I want to win a Heisman. I want to win a national championship. And then Ryan Day is going on Fox and saying, that's why Justin Fields is here because he wants to win a Heisman and a national championship. Like, you're just setting that expectation so high that, uh, I mean, not that it wouldn't have been anyway, but I think it's extremely clear now that anything less than a national championship for this team is going to be seen as a failure.
1: Yeah, like I sort of love it for one respect. Like I love some I love a team willing to go out there and a quarterback willing to go out there and say like, "Yeah, we want we're expecting to be the best well, in I country. I'm expecting to be the best player in the country." Like that's awesome. At the same time, like I don't think people who 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 regularly listen to this podcast think that we are overconfident about the defense. <laughs> I think that sometimes like we should probably be maybe even a little bit more complimentary. But here's the deal. Like if we're gonna just gonna talk about the defense, like the entire returning defensive ends have pl- have been in Ohio State for eleven seasons, they have seventeen and a half sacks. I don't think that there's a, I, I don't think that there's a ton of depth of defensive tackle. I think the linebackers are really good and really experienced. I'm not sure that you have a first team All American in that group. You're replacing four starters in the secondary. If people are overconfident. Three. Three, sorry, Five yeah, i I was still living in a world where Sean Wade was gone for some reason. Um, if people are overconfident, um I would just say, and, and I might write about this at some point. Like, you might want to just go look at that defense last year again, because I think that that might have been the best defense Ohio State has ever put on the field. So, yeah, I don't think the defense is going to be as good as it was last year. If the offense can make up for that, when you have Justin Fields leading it, and I think it's, I think it's possible that it can. Um, then I think that they 'll be fine um, but yeah if you 're overconfident about the defense uh we 're not going to agree uh because I think this defense um, I have questions about this defense that won 't be answered for for a little while until we start seeing them play on the field
0: i'll also say, I'll, i mean i 'll also say this just to just to hit on the commenter 's point not that I think this is really much of a question anyway but i am caught co- i, I I don't think they'll be as good as they were last year, but I'm also extremely confident they will be nowhere near as bad as they were in 2018.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly., Yes, that was I
0: mean, we're, we, you said, last year might have been the best Ohio State defense in Ohio State history. 2018 was the worst. I, I, I'd be shocked if they, if they went back to that level. I, I think there are going to be some rougher moments for this defense, but I would be shocked if they went anywhere close back to 2018.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's talent all over the defense. We just haven't seen – we haven't seen a lot of these guys who are going to be stepping into major roles. And I think these Um, coaches are better. I do think these coaches are better, which is a great point as well. Um, But also, like, what's important to keep in mind is, like, you don't always be a Chase Young first-year starter and get ten and a half sacks. Like, some guys, like Damon Arnett, start for a year, aren't really awesome, start for a second year – aren't really awesome third year really blossom like you never really know when guys are going to hit so when a defense is turning over as many guys as, as this one is turning over I think that that's why you know my antennas are up it's just like I think that a lot of these guys are talented but do you know that they're going to be awesome right away I don't and and that's what I've that's what I've sort of been waiting for
0: okay that was not rapid fire but we'll see that was we... far from rapid fire <laughs> next question uh, Ohio Panda asked is, it, I, I'm assuming this is not Andrew Ellis, but I'm hoping it is because he has a nickname Panda. Uh, but the question was, is there a timeline for, for Davis and Wade's return? Does the NCAA have to approve it or were the opt-outs just a meaningless verbal commitment? Well, here's what I tell you. Wyatt Davis was back at practice today because he tweeted about it. Uh, so I know he's back. I know that as of Tuesday night, Sean Wade was not back at practice. Uh, based on what Kerry Combs said, it sounded like the biggest holdup there was just waiting on COVID-19 testing results. So I think they're expecting him back uh, very soon. Uh, you know, in terms of the NCA process, I honestly, I don't know all the details there. I know, if, especially if Wyatt, I know if there are some things they have to work through and I don't, I don't think they've gotten the all clear yet for those guys to to play necessarily. Uh, There's a different process between practicing and playing. So just the fact that Wyatt is is back practicing doesn't necessarily mean that he'd be cleared to play right now. Um, You know, but in regards to the, uh, but really the question here is what we know, Wyatt and and Sean had consulted with agents, even though they hadn't signed with them. Really? the, The big question here is, what exactly did that consultation entail? And will the NCAA be more lenient than it would typically be if they did anything that typically wouldn't be permissible? Because just saying they weren't going to play that 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 is it that is basically just a verbal commitment. That just just tweeting about it didn't make them ineligible. Uh, consulting with an agent might have. So I think that's the process that compliance is working through right now, uh, just to make sure that, you know, they will be eligible to play, but all indications that we've gotten is that Ohio state fully expects them to be uh, approved to play.
1: Yep, that's, that's my expectation as well. All in OSUS, I keep reading comments about keeping the foot on the gas, pa- gas pedal, being that it's a smaller schedule and it's hard to figure out the committee. I'm not saying that's wrong, but with, but with games in a row like they have, I feel like it's more about managing rest than piling on points. Thoughts? Uh,
0: I think you can go both ways on that. Like, I think um, – I mean, I, I think we both agree on this. If they go undefeated, they're making a playoff. So, I don't think running up the score on Indiana or Illinois is going to make a difference. I, I don't think really that matters. But I do think that – I think that you're going to want to look impressive out there because. I think if, if, you, if you have any slip-up, you're not going to have much margin for error. And so, I mean, even Gene Smith, who has been on the CFP committee, mentioned it when I asked him last week. And he said he thinks, he thinks look is going to come into it more this year. He thinks eye test is going to come into it more this year. So I think if you want to give yourself any margin for error, you want it to be clear when you are playing that you are one of the best teams in the country, that you are a team that belongs in a college ball playoff. And so I think you want to win impressively in, a, in every single game. And, uh, you know, in terms of managing rest, I mean, certainly, you know, you, you have a big halftime lead against Rutgers and Maryland and Illinois. Uh, I do think you should manage rest. I think you should get those backups in the game because there's going to be less less games total for those guys to play this year. So uh, I, I do think it makes sense uh, in some of these games to maybe pull out the starters uh, even earlier than you normally would to get those backups and playing time to give those guys some rest. But I also think you know you're going to want to go up there and win convincingly every game, and based on what we saw last year, I would be surprised if Ryan Day had any different approach uh, than to try to win these games convincingly.
1: yeah, you don't make your mantra fight if you're just going you know run the ball eighty five times in a row. that's not going to happen um, and I think we needed to define like what is keeping the foot on the gas pedal mean because like I don't think that ohio State is going to you know pull at starters if they're up by 14 on any team. Like I, I just don't think that that's a thing that Ryan Day is going to do. Especially if you look back at last year's Penn State game when he kept Justin Fields in late and called a pass um, on fourth down. Um, I, don't, I, I don't think that that's something that you're going to have to worry about Ohio State not doing. Um, I think that I think the rest part is is interesting, and I think that that's something to keep in mind. But at the same time, like they're going to go in and try and beat everybody like they beat them last year um last year was a like literally a perfect regular season i mean they just they destroyed the teams that they that they um should destroy and then they beat up the teams like the penn state and the michigans um in a way that was very convincing and and showed that you know maybe they're the best team in the country and obviously fell short there but um you knew, you never had a doubt that they were one of the the two or three best teams in the country i think really that's the point is is more so ensuring people, people realize that you're the best team in the country and doing what you do rather than keeping the foot on the gas pedal or not. I, I, I do think, like Gene Smith said, like the eye test is going to matter this year, and it's especially if you're going to lose a game, you better go out and, and look like yourself and look like you're one of the best teams. Um, and I don't really know that it means like, keeping the starters and to go bury Rutgers 85 to, to nothing. Um, I don't think that that means that. I just think it means going out and playing aggressively and getting after it early um, and looking awesome (laughs) for as long as the stars are out there.
0: Yeah. What was the buzzword Mullins would always use last year, like game control or something like that? Like, I mean, the committee, I don't think it's not the BCS, the committee doesn't really care if you beat Rutgers 56, 14 or 70 to 14. They don't, they don't really care about that. They just care that you controlled the game. Um so, I think it 's all about yeah I mean I think if you know if you're if you're blowing a team out in the third quarter you 're going to take your starters out of the game, but you're you're not you're not you're not going to take them out until you 've got a really convincing dominant
1: lead a c buck I asked, I know everyone is focused on facing and beating Clemson beyond the conference schedule, and for good reason, I am too, but is Clemson only even going to be as good as Alabama this season i can't help but wonder what if we end up playing Staven squad before we ever get a chance to settle things with Clemson first. And and I think, you know, that's an interesting point. I'll say this, like if you face Alabama and then Clemson, like that to me is sort of like that 2014 run where it's just perfect. Like you get to beat Alabama and then you get to beat Oregon and you have Cardale there and you roll over Wisconsin in the big 10 championship game. Like that was perfect for Ohio state fans. And yeah, I think it'd be a little bit disconcerting if, if, you know, the game that, everybody in Columbus wants, which is the Clemson game. If you had to get through Alabama to do it first, but isn't that also a little fun? I don't know. I guess it, it, it's easier for me when I don't have a stake in it and I don't have to worry about, you know, my favorite team, not losing, uh, or, or not getting to that moment. But I also think that if that were to happen, that would be a, that would set up a pretty awesome run. Yeah. I think it'd be fun. I,
0: I think the point he's making though, which I, I think is valid is that Alabama could be better than Clemson. And I, yeah, I, yes. I, I think that's a valid point. I mean, we haven't seen Alabama play yet. The only one of these teams we've seen play yet is Clemson. Clemson looks really good, but they also haven't played anybody. Um, I think Alabama is going to be really good. I mean, I was saying this before any of this all started, but I thought people were focusing a little too much on Clemson and Ohio State and not enough on Alabama because I think everybody just immediately goes to the quarterbacks. But if you look at all the talent Alabama's got back, I mean, I don't think they're going to be as good at quarterback, but, you know, you, you you I mean, you look at some of these guys who decided to return for another year like Najee Harris and, Alex Leverwood and Dylan Moses. Uh, they've got a lot of guys back. Uh, I don't believe they've really had any high-profile opt-outs. I mean, they've got, you know, two stud receivers in Devontae Smith, uh, Jalen Waddell. Um, you know, it, it, as always, I mean, they've just got five stars all over the place because of the way uh, Nick Saban recruits. So I I, th- I think Alabama's going to be really good. I, I mean, to me, I've, I've always had those as penciled in as the three best teams in the country. and, and and I do think, you know, most likely, uh, if you assume that Ohio State and Clemson both go undefeated, I'm going to guess that most likely Clemson's going to get the better seed because they're going to have played more games. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, if in a, in a hypothetical situation where, uh, you know, Ohio State and Clemson, you know, if, if those free if we say those three teams all go undefeated, I think there's uh, most li- most likely o- Ohio State's going to be one of those two teams that would have to uh, beat both of them in that scenario. Uh, I don't know which team's better, but I do think it's possible that Alabama could be better. Uh, I do think it's possible that if you get a semifinal matchup with Alabama, that might prevent you uh, from a final matchup with Clemson because Alabama might beat you. Uh, I know that I'd love to see that Ohio State-Clemson game, though, as I think we all would.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing is like I couldn't possibly mad or be mad about seeing Ohio State Alabama because that sounds like an amazing showdown. I still would – in regardless of what happens, I still really want to see Ohio State Clemson. Like that is that is the one game. And I know everybody in Columbus wants wants another shot at Clemson. Um, I, I also think that if you can play both of those teams on the road to a national championship, that would be up there with the 2014 one as like one of the sweetest paths to a national championship ever. Ziploc 007 asked about, uh, we, we kind of hit on this
0: before, but he asked about Nebraska's, did Nebraska's strong vocalization to the big cancellation backfire? They have the toughest cross-divisionals cross in the Big Ten at Ohio State and Penn State. When the schedule was contracted, Nebraska clearly got the short straw. Like I said before, I think the cross-divisional games, uh, I don't think that has anything to do with it because I think that was based on the original nine game conference schedule. And it was just the way it worked out uh, for Nebraska that they got uh, the tough draw there. Uh, I do think, you know, if if you want to have conspiracy theories about the way that uh, it was scheduled in terms of, you know, having that Ohio state, Wisconsin, Penn state gauntlet right at the start of the season, I think that would probably be valid, but I, I, I don't really think the, the cross divisionals had anything to do with uh, Nebraska getting a tougher draw right now? I think it was just the way it worked out based on a schedule that was made years ago.
1: Yeah, and like, did their strong vocalization backfire? I don't think it did. Because they're playing football, so if you're yeah. going to complain about the schedule, that's on you because the whole whole vocalization they they won what they were vocalized what what they were you yeah. know so strongly vocalized. You said you wanted to play. Now go play. Yeah. Stop complaining. Go play. Nutta a buckas, yes. with the schedule pushed back even further, how healthy is Master Teague look week one? Also, we saw quite a bit of Sean McVay-esque 12 personnel last year with fields under center and creative use of the tight ends. Well, we see even more of the, of the same packages come October with Farrell and Ruckert both back.
0: He's, he's, he, he also said in his post, he said, we've done a good job pronouncing his name, so hopefully we did again. Um, oh,
1: yeah, no, that one's on me. I think you're, you, you've are you you been the one pronouncing his name before. To answer the first question,
0: I think Master T's going to be good to go based on everything that I've heard. Uh, it sounds to me like he's going to be good to go. Again, it's one of those things. We're not going to see it until literally that first game because we're not able to see any practices. So we don't know exactly what he's doing in practice right now. Uh, we're not going to have a chance to see it with our own eyes until – Uh, that first game actually happens. But I'm expecting him to be healthy. I'm expecting him uh, to be good to go. Uh, On the second question, I would think we're going to continue to see a healthy dose of that. Because like you said, uh, Luke Farrell and Jeremy Rucker are back. Jake Hausman's back too. So uh, they've certainly got the depth there to do it. They've got a lot of really good receivers too. So I think, you know, that's the challenging part of the equation. But I think you're going to continue to see a healthy dose of that 12 personnel. I'm not going to say you're going to see, um, start throwing a lot more to the tight ends because we know how that conversation always ends up. But uh, I do think that, you know, 12 personnel that we saw a lot of last year with two tight ends on the field, I think that's going to continue uh, to have a significant place in the Ohio state
1: offense. And I think it should, because like, I think, I think the duo of Luke Farrell and Jeremy Rucker is awesome. I really do. Um, I think that's one. Of the, I don't. I'll be honest, Dan. I don't know my national tight end duos, and maybe that's on me. <laughs> but I do think that this is one of the better ones in the country. Um, and I think, said it before. I'm sure I'll write it before the season. I know we're going to get to talk to the tight ends on Friday. <clears throat> I think, I think it would be a total mistake and a misuse of resources if they don't give Jeremy Record the ball more. I Meaning the in the limited time that we've seen them throw at him, he's literally impressive. And we know what he was ranked coming out of high school. And Gerber Myers said he was either the most talented or one of the most talented tight ends he's ever recruited. Um, and now in his third year, I think it makes sense to get the ball to him more so more, more than they ever have before. The interesting thing is, like, I thought, you know, when we had questions about what they were going to do in the slot, I thought maybe it would have made more sense to have him go out and take some of those passes. If you're going to put Garrett Wilson in the slot, like, yeah, you probably don't need to put Jeremy Ruckert there also. Um, especially when you have Jetson Smith and Jigba, Mookie Cooper, Demario McCall, all those guys. Um, But at the same time, I am fascinated to see what they do with him because I think he's one of the more intriguing guys to me on the roster who – like people don't even love us talking about the tight ends often because like the conversation is so similar, but to me, this is different because Jeremy Rucker is different. Jeremy Rucker's not Luke Farrell. He's not a Jake Hasman. He's not like, and he's not like some of the guys who've come through recently, Who I think are, if some of them are good receivers. I think Jeremy Rucker can be almost like a wide receiver at times. Um, and they haven't really used him like that. So I think it'd be disappointing if they, if, if you know we didn't see more passes go his way
0: yeah I still think we could see some stuff like that like you know when they say Garrett Wilson's playing in the slot like that's what I expect to see in free receiver sets but like I still think we could see two receiver sets where Garrett Wilson then goes and plays outside and then you've got Jeremy Rucker uh functioning as you know a flex tight end I I still think uh there's going to be plenty of room for him to do stuff like that and I think they should do stuff like that because I think when you've got as many weapons as Ohio State has, you'd be doing yourself a disservice not to be creative and to incorporate a lot of different looks into your offense.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, I, I really do think that um, I think Luke Farrell also is one of the more underrated players on this roster. Um, and I think that, you know, when you pair him with an offensive line that, again, I think is potentially the best in the country, I think that helps out Trey Sermon as much as anyone else. I think I think Trey Sermon, when he's running behind all these guys, and you can put these multiple tight ends on the field, I think he's really gonna benefit. And and you know, like like you asked as well, Master Teague is someone who I'm fascinated to see because we got we we saw him a little bit in small doses last year in the second half. And I like what I saw in small doses. I don't really know what it'll be like when we see him as, you know, the full time starter, and we might see him a little bit in that role this year. Yeah. And I think having, you know, having those two, uh, you know,
0: I think, you know, people might, people might think, well, you lose JK Dobbins, maybe you're not going to run the ball as much. Maybe you're not going to be as power running base, but I think having those two, you, you're still going to be able to do uh, a lot of power running and a lot of that behind, you know, uh, those two tight end sets and that uh, really talented offensive line.
1: Final question. I think this is where people can either tune out if they don't want to hear this or they can stay with us because it's an interesting question for us. It has nothing to do with actual football and more so to do with us two and our jobs, but Ohio against the world asked it. So we will answer it. He says, assuming there's media availability at games in the press box, which we are expecting. um, Let's play the hypothetical 11 warriors gets one credential game, which leaves you and Colin or, or I guess me and Dan, To take turns choosing Ohio State matchups, both home and road games, to um, which ones we most want to cover. Can you alternate selecting the eight scheduled games and tell us why you find the matchup so intriguing? Note, I just flipped a coin and Dan gets the first pick. I'm assuming the game will go number one. If it doesn't, you've got some explaining to do, Dan.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I think, you know, your, your hypothetical is probably correct in terms of home mm-hmm. games. We don't know what's going to happen, but my guess is we are only going to get one credential. Uh, road games, I have actually, I have legitimately no idea if it, how those are going to work. It'll um, be a
1: case-by-case case basis. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm
0: hoping uh will get to go to a couple. Uh, I'm guessing we'll not be going to all of them. Uh, again, it's one of those things that uh, we're going to have to adapt to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think most likely – it is going to be uh, just one of us, you know, in, in the press box for each game this year, because I think that's the reality uh, of this COVID nineteen pandemic. So I don't think this is a formal draft. I think these are uh, serious discussions that will have to be had as a staff uh, once we actually know what the protocols are. But
1: well, it's uh, good you mentioned that, Dan. I was going to ask if I should, you know, do this for real.
0: No, I think uh, I think I think this will just be a fun exercise for now. But I do think it's a good question um I, I will say that uh you don't need to worry because with my number one pick uh if I have to pick any game to go to carvis here yeah i'm gonna I'm gonna pick the michigan game uh the rivalry game end of his season uh I'm guessing Colin would have made the same pick if he was given a number one pick by you because i mean if there's one game you wanna cover it it's, it's gotta be that rivalry game
1: yeah, oh that's my number one pick by a mile um I'll say this too like I just made it real quick rankings. Um, I factored in everything about this in terms of like travel in terms of hotel in terms of you know where these games are have I been there what like all kinds of things so it's not just straight up my most intriguing games Um, I don't know that's just how my mind works and so yeah Michigan at home that's the perfect game that's 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 everything that one of us could ask for to cover and my second game I have to pick Penn State on the road with one caveat. Like, I hate that road trip. I hate hate that drive. And the the thought of making that drive this year um, in late October, you never know what the weather's going to be. It feels like, you know, we're one state away. Like, how far can Penn State be? It feels like the longest drive in the world. I don't know what it is about that drive, but I despise it. Yet at the same time, like, yeah. The, if we're going to tier games, like Michigan and Penn State are clear tier one games. I'm not even sure there's a tier two game on this schedule. Everyone else is below. So, yeah, I might hate the drive, but the Penn State game is always awesome. It's been awesome in, in recent years. And as much as I think that Ohio State is, is probably going to win handily, as I do with all these games, I still think it could be a fascinating game. Um, and it'll be the first test to see, you know, what what we think this team um, – really has. And, and do we think that this team is the the national championship contender and potential front runner that you know, a lot of people really view it as? And, and we'll, we'll get to see that really early in the season. That'll be fascinating. So yeah, that is that is my first pick.
0: We're really getting inside baseball here, but I told Colin this before just to go off a road trip thing, but I, I, I booked hotels last week just in case we get to go. I have no idea if we actually will, but I got a I got a hotel in State College, a nice hotel in State College for 75 bucks a night, which under normal circumstances we stay like an hour away from State College, usually in a not very nice hotel. And in your, you know, and you know, it it might not be much more than like 100 bucks, but to get a hotel in State College during a game day where they're actually yeah. going to have fans at Beaver Stadium, it's basically impossible or you're going to pay like a thousand dollars. So
1: yeah, it's way uh, that's, closer to a thousand than a hundred.
0: So that speaks to how weird this year is going to be that uh, the, the, the day of a Penn state football game, you could get a hotel in state college for $75, but yeah, nobody's going to be there uh, for fans, unfortunately. Uh, but I, with you, that would have been, that would have been my number two pick just because it's one of the two best games of the season. Uh, for me, number three, pretty easy. I'm going to go for the season opener against Nebraska because, like, just the fact that, like, it's going to be such a new thing. Like, like it's going to be the first game Ohio State plays in Ohio Stadium without fans. Like, it's going to be weird. It's going to be different. And I hope that I get to be there for that just to document it because it's it, it's it's going to be strange. I don't even really know exactly what to expect because it's just – so different from anything you imagined but you know that to me that's my next pick of a game that I want to cover just because it's going to be new it's going to be different I have a feeling if I'm at that game that my the main story I write is going to be about just what it was like being there covering a game with no fans in the stands because it's just going to be so drastically different from the environment we are typically used to on a game day and plus it's the season opener you're always no matter who you're playing, the season opener is always exciting. And Nebraska uh, is one of the better remaining opponents on the
1: schedule. Yeah, I'll have major FOMO if if that happens, which it probably will. Um, because, yeah, although I although Penn State's my first pick, Nebraska's right there because you get that combination of the season opener and also, like, the first game in Ohio Stadium with no fans during a pandemic. Like, that's a fascinating game to cover. Um and I would have absolutely taken out on a net pick, but I mean, you know where I'm going with this one home against Indiana. Um, it feels like it's the, to me, the third toughest game on the schedule. It's a home game. Um, it's coming off of Rutgers in Maryland when, you know, I'm at a fall asleep at, and then you get this one. And, you know, I think that some people are going to you know, probably chalk this up as an immediate win, which fair, understandable, but I'm looking at this slate of games right now, and I'm not exactly thrilled to. Uh, I won't. I won't. I'm not exactly thrilled to cover a Rutgers game, if that makes sense. <laughs> I would rather cover a game against Indiana in the middle of the season that it feels like you know Indiana might. You might learn something about Ohio State when they play Indiana.
0: As you mentioned before, I also factored in in thinking about this uh, place I haven't been before, and the only place on here that I haven't been before. Is Illinois, so that's oh, going to be stating That's going to be my, my next. next that's going to be my next pick because it's. I've never been there before. I'm hoping to get the opportunity uh, to go there for the first time this year. So uh, that's it. That's that's the entirety of my rationale for that one. I've never been to Illinois, and I want to go there for the first time. So that's why Illinois is my next pick.
1: That actually, like, that makes complete sense. And I just looked up the list of the Big Ten <laughs> schools real quick um, to see. If uh, I was in the same boat, and I am, except there's other. There's only one other that I haven't been to, and that is Minnesota. And I meant um, I just
0: I just meant the ones on the schedule.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I I understood. Um, but I think those are the two that I'd like to check off, and and yeah, I think Illinois might have been my next one, but I will say also, my next pick is home against Rutgers, because I'm looking at the rest of the games, and I'm going to be honest, Dan, like I'm just going to give uh, give it all up here. Like the other two games are away against Michigan State and away against Maryland, and if I'm looking at it, you're either going to go on a long drive to Maryland to see a terrible game or drive through a snowstorm to see a game in Michigan State that you have no idea what it's going to be about. So I have, no, I, I have no desire to do either of those. I would rather just watch Ohio State beat up on Rutgers and see C.J. Stroud play in Ohio Stadium. That was a smart choice. You you threw
0: me a curveball there because I I I didn't think that was where you were going to go with that because um, I I wanted Rutgers. I wanted I wanted to be there for the Greg Schiano, Brendan White return uh, to <laughs> oh, Columbus. Yeah, so.
1: Malik Barrow, baby.
0: Yeah, I was I was I I won I was going to pick Rutgers of my final pick, uh, but I'll take Michigan State because I think uh, like I talked about before, I think that has the chance of at least being a semi-competitive game, whereas. I don't think the Maryland game will be, and it's also a Farvest trip. Um, so not a drive that I particularly uh, want to make. So uh, yeah, here's
1: the deal with this game is whoever gets the first pick gets the best game and doesn't get the worst game. So it is, it is a very, it is a very yeah, a snake draft probably would it. have been a
0: more yeah. fair way to do it. But again, not, this is not a serious uh, planning here. This is just for fun. So.
1: Yeah, and this, I'll go cover I'll, I'll go cover the Big Ten Championship there. So we'll <laughs> there <okay>. you go. <laughs> actually no, I don't want to do that because I also know that the college football playoff would come the next day and I know what, I know what that night looks like. So now yeah, we're so, super inside baseball, which probably means Oh, well, and then this year you're not even going to get open locker room. Off. You're not even going to
0: get a, a open locker room after the Big Ten Championship game most likely, That's so true. that takes away like the most interesting part of actually covering that game. Yeah,
1: other than yeah. The, then it's just another trip to Indianapolis and you go to Lucas Oil, which is always, you know, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, now, um, you,
0: you know, I want to go and get my shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo. So
1: <laughs> that is true. And I, you know what, you know that I don't want to go get my shrimp cocktail because I can't handle it.
0: <laughs> no, I have uh you and you and other 11 warriors colleagues have been unable to handle the shrimp cocktail, but
1: no, I'm not going back. I know that's I, all
0: you. I, I, I dream of it every time I get to go back to, to Indy. The, la- I think the last time I like normal work travel was going to the combine, going to Indy, getting uh shrimp cocktail. And who knows when we'll get normal travel again. I mean, I, w- I mean we don't know right now if we're gonna be traveling to any road games. I hope we get to, but uh it's all up in the air at this point. So uh you know, were we're uh we're kinda waiting to see on that as much as everybody. But uh that was a fun that was a fun exercise. So uh Thanks for the question, Ohio against the World. Thanks to everyone for your questions. And and thanks again for listening uh, to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. We're uh, deep into getting ready for football season now. So uh, lots more football talk to come as we gear up for this uh, unconventional October 24 start to the season. So thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you again next week.